Welcome to the High Quality Fun Podcast. Today we have Abdallah on to talk about volunteerism and medical tourism. Abdallah has lived all around the world and continues to explore different countries. In one of his travels, he volunteered at a lion sanctuary in South Africa. He tells us how he got to know these majestic creatures through roughhousing and a few bites and scratches. We also talk about an epic shoulder injury he got from surfing down a volcano and how he flew back to Egypt to get the surgery. It was great having Abdallah on to reminisce on these unique experiences and see the excitement he had talking about his time with the king of, king of the jungle. You've traveled a bunch, so you know. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that and kind of your philosophies around traveling. Okay. Well, I am. I work at Ford, just like you said. I've been there for eight years. I moved there from Canada, where I got my degrees, and I graduated from university. I did my undergrad in Kuwait. And I was born in Egypt. So when someone asks me where I'm from, it's always hard to give a straight answer. I don't know where home is. <laughs> home is really where uh, my family is at. And they, they're all over the place as well. Um, and you live in Mexico right now. So like there's that you, you're everywhere. Right, exactly. So uh, I guess my philosophy on travel is that I try to acclimate to my surroundings and I try to adjust to where I am. Um, I don't, I'm not too fixated on living on any certain place or, um, or spending the rest of my life in a specific spot. I just like to roam and experience different cultures and learn from all of that. I think that's the best uh, way that we can learn is to experience different cultures and how people live in different ways and pick up from what people have been practicing for years and generations. I actually forgot that you were in Canada and I did not know that about Kuwait. So that's you've really been everywhere. Is is your family still in Egypt or you said they're kind of scattered? My parents are visiting Egypt right now. My my parents still live in Kuwait because that's where they they work. And uh, I've got a brother in Egypt. I got a brother in Kuwait. I got a brother in Canada. I'm in the U.S. right now just visiting, but I do live in Mexico. So we got the Middle East and the Western world all covered. Uh, we're just hoping that someone can go and, you know, take care of the, the east side for a little bit. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Um, yeah, so we can jump right into it. The the main story I want to I want to get into because this is. Sorry, this is just so unique and all the all the photos and videos you have of this experience are just every time I see them, it excites me. Um, you went to South Africa and. Just, yeah, go into it. What, why did you go there and what did you do there? I think that was during the time when we were launching in Louisville. For those that don't know, uh, it's, it's a period where all the engineers go to support the launch of a new vehicle. And 
uh, it's crazy hours and you're working around the clock, you're supporting different regions. And if you work beyond, you know, a certain number of hours a day, you start getting overtime. So if you rack up enough of that, you, you start making some good money. And uh, by the end of it, or towards the end, you try to think of ways that you can, you know, really have a good vacation or, or you know, splurge it in, in some, some way. You know, we had friends that were able to either, you know, buy their, uh, you know, dream car or go on their dream vacation. So um, there was there was a thing that I was very interested to do, which is called volunteerism, where you volunteer in a place that is exotic and it's and they do take you around and they show you the place so it's it's almost like a vacation as well so you're you're there for tourism and you're vol volunteering at the same time so we we're looking at uh spots that had to do with animals and one spot that really stuck out was a place in south africa which was a wild lion sanctuary um, or a wild cat sanctuary, but 90% of the animals that they had were, were lions. And um, when we were reading the descriptions, it was saying that we were looking for someone that it would be a resident at the park that would help feed the lions, you know, take care of the feet of the animals, clean up, and be there for you know customer support in in the event that any of the customers had any questions so that was what we were walking into that's what our expectations were but then it was something completely different because they obviously can't write everything that you're able to do there uh in print because there are some uh protection agencies and organizations that try to oversee and make sure that everyone's kind of following this uh unwritten rule of what you should or, or what tourists can or can't do with with animals so um, just real quick was you went and stayed there for like a month right what? yeah so it was it was four weeks okay it, and, and then yeah. like when people so you're saying that tourists let it, like i could visit south africa and just go spend a few hours there to see all the cats and so you're aiding you're aiding you're, you're kind of like facilitating that 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 tourist uh business okay okay keep going yeah so that's part of the tourism you're you're helping the the visitors you're also taking care of the animals and that's pretty much it it's either you're taking care of the animals or you're kind of guiding and directing others and try to trying to be as friendly as possible with the with the visitors um it, it's volunteerism so you volunteer but you do pay to stay there and they feed you and they give you accommodation and all that so uh you, and i think it's a minimum of like two weeks of staying there um but it, it was it was worth 
uh, it was worth it. It was so much fun, and at night you can hear the animals, and uh, we were so close to the park, and it, it was just a dream. Whenever we think back of that time, we keep telling ourselves that we need to go there again. So I remember when you came back from this trip and how giddy you were to show off photos and tell me about it. And uh, so like, I don't know, we probably talked for 10 minutes and you went through all these photos and told me about it, which is pretty long to get someone one-on-one. -on -one. So I'm, I'm excited to just like dive into it for the next half an hour or whatever. Um, yeah, so what, for the listeners, what animals were there and then why don't you just tell us about like the day to day and then we can, I, I don't know, talk about the silly stuff you did with these cats. They had, so like I said, 90% lions, so many lions. I think it was over a hundred lions wow. and they're, they're scattered across acres and acres of land. So there's prides that are in their own enclosures. And then you have the lion cubs and those lion cubs, they're, they haven't been separated, but they were rescued in um, in environments where their life was at risk. So something that viewers might not know about lions is that when a lion cub is born, um, you would assume that the lioness would be uh, the the cub's protector, and she would you know protect her protect the cub with her life. But in some cases, she, in some cases, lionesses can eat their cubs. Uh, in some cases, lions can feel like uh, threatened and they would kill the cubs. So in environments like that, that's when the sanctuary would step in and rescue the cubs and they would keep the cubs um, in, in their own enclosure um, to, to take care of them until they get to a certain age and then they can try to get them back into the the pride or different pride whatever lioness is willing to kind of take that cub under her wing or under her arm and kind of nurture that that cub um so there were there were cubs there were lions there were a, a couple leopards and there, there was a baby leopard over there as well. Uh, baby leopards are so feisty. And uh, they have the sharpest claws out of all of them. The, the moment they, they scratch you, you're, 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 you're bleeding uh, profusely because it's so sharp and so long. And they, they, don't, they don't cut their, their claws. So it's, you, you have to be careful. And no one wears gloves over there. So, you, and you probably remember when I came back, I was showing off my scars. I had yep. so many scars all over my arms and, and hands. And I even have jackets from when I was there and they're just torn. And uh, it's just, it's something I'd like to remember uh, always. Uh, but are the, it, are the adult animals that are there, are they, um, I assume they live there full time. There's no plan to release those back to the pride. They're they're injured or something. They're saved. They are so they've the, the prides that are there, they're kept there. 
Um, so it's there's several reasons why they're there. Yes, they have been saved or they've been born into the the pride. Um, there are some animals that are saved that they bring in, but they try to keep them on their own for a little bit and then try to integrate them with the others. Uh, but that rarely happens. Um, the other reason they don't release them is because it, it's really hard with how there's a lot of deforestation and change of um, terrain and to the point where South Africans or not necessarily South Africans, but the habitat of where lions live, they tend to all also um, roam around cities and towns. And when people see lions in the streets, they just, you know, protect themselves. And that, that reduces the population of lions. Um, so for those sanctuaries that have lions, they try to protect that po population and try to grow it uh, because it is, a, it is a population that is that needs to be um, cared for. I'm not quite sure whether they're still endangered, but um, it's their their terrain or the air their their savannas that the square footage that they have is is definitely dwindling with time. Okay, okay, that's good to know. I I would also imagine that they probably wouldn't be able to feed themselves if, if they were raised in the sanctuary where they're kind of getting handed food every day. It'd probably be a shock shock for them to have to go hunt something. Yes, a piece of fact that I was told, which was very alarming to me, is that the lions that are kept in captivity are nine times more dangerous towards humans <laughs> than the wild lion. And it makes sense when you think about it because the lions in captivity, all they're doing is just studying humans and just learning their weak points and knowing their actions and how fast they are and how strong they are. And if they want to take a human down, what's the first thing they would go for? So, <laughs> and all that is just constantly from when they were cubs. So by the time they're just fully grown, they can, you know, immediately just kill whoever they want if they choose to. That's why I'm a dog person. I don't trust cats. <laughs> wasn't there wasn't there also uh, cheetahs there? Yes, uh, there were two cheetahs. Uh, there was actually three cheetahs. One cheetah that that lost an eye um and then two other cheetahs and w the thing with cheetahs is they're not like lions where they're social so they don't necessarily like to live with each other lions are the only social cat meaning that they're the only cat that survive in groups all the other cats enjoy being in solitary or the love living their life alone hunting on their own they don't like form groups or they don't hunt in 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 groups not usually at least tigers 
leopards, cheetahs, even domestic cats, they're not, their survival isn't based on them being with others. Um, so that's, that's something to know about lions is when you walk in, especially with lions that are in captivity, that are used to humans, it's like being in a house that has cats, but they're just like a hundred times their size and their purrs make your body vibrate when they come and like um, rub against you and they, they don't purr, but you can feel their, their vibration and it, it shakes you and it, they're so powerful, but so loving at the same time. Um, so yeah, we keep drifting to lions, but they did have cheetahs. They had, uh, leopards. I'm, I'm trying to think of all the cats first and then I'll get into the other animals. And was that all the cats? So lions, leopards, cheetahs, uh, they, they did have white lions, which are still lions. And I believe that's it for wild cats um they did have wild dogs and hyenas and then they also had giraffes they had wildebeests they had springbucks they had you know gazelles zebras they had um all the, I guess, gazelle family, uh, which uh, I'm not too I've had a huge uh, acre of land, uh, huge um, square footage of, and uh, that's where all the animals grazed uh, separately away from the sanctuaries of the wild cats. Um, so that's where the visitors would come to have their safari tour and um, and then when they go into the sanctuaries, they would be in jeeps or uh, trucks that are enclosed and um, and they would go in, they'd be like double fenced uh, and then uh, you would hear so, so many scary stories like this one time a truck went in and you know the engine just stopped working and there was no way to tow it out so this other truck came in with mechanics and they had to fix the engine <laughs> while being surrounded by lions and there were several of the workers their their job was just to scare the lions away while the others were working on the car and those that were working on the car would would say that we would hear their pop their paw steps around around us and it was getting so dark that it was hard to see them and we had to use flashlights so there's all these shenanigans that happen in, in spots like that but you know they're they're obviously experts and professionals and one thing you have to know is the language of lions what does it mean when their ears kind of twitch what what does it mean when their tail you know stops uh, moving or or when they're looking at you in a certain way 
um, there's so many things that you can pick up from their behavior that can help you determine what kind of mood are they in or what are they thinking. Um, so that's that's another thing that I learned over there is that every every animal has their has their language and um, in order to be safe around them, you need to communicate in their language. That's that's all. I assume that those lions were um, not necessarily the ones that you were interacting with, the ones that were surrounding the mechanics. Yeah, those are those are their own pride. Okay. And uh, you know, there's usually the dominant lion, and then his lionesses, and then all the other um, teenagers. Um, so yeah, the. And sometimes there's multiple lions. Um, it's 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 hard for them to get along with one another. But sometimes there's like brothers that are you know holding the pride down. And uh, yeah, those those are uh, those aren't as easygoing as the other the other lions. So what is what was your day to day like there? So in the morning we would go to the park and we after breakfast it would always be taking care of the cubs and that was honestly our favorite part of it all and the workers over there would bring it up like it, it's a chore like oh I'm we're sorry today you're gonna have to take care of the cubs again. Uh, we just don't have that much you know that many visitors. Let's say it's raining or you know there's a storm, they wouldn't get that many visitors. So you'd have to go and like keep the the cubs um, socially active and feed them and and you know clean their enclosure and stuff. But it was just the funnest thing because they're like. They're six months old, so they're about maybe, I don't know, 20 kilograms uh, or let's say 50 pounds. And they're jumping at you and they're biting you and they're scratching you. And, you know, you can uh, you can play hide and seek and they'll try to get you. And it, it's just so much fun. Uh, and they're a good workout weight too, so you can carry them and throw them around. And you know they're they're cats, so they have nine lives, so you can never really hurt them. Uh, you know, to to some extent. Um, so that was the mornings is taking care of the cubs, and then during um, between ten and one p.m. we would go to the fridge get the food for the lions and then make our rounds and the food would be either dead chickens so chickens that have died um or yeah they have died and then stored in a fridge or um meat and all that was donated by like farmers. Uh, I think that was one of the ways that they were able to stay afloat during COVID. Um, all this happened 
before COVID. I think that it happened in uh, 2019, actually. So it was right when, um, you know, the, there were some, there, there was news that was coming out of the virus. Uh, so we were able to make that trip before before that, but it's good to know that they're still doing good. That was that was noon, and then after lunch, we would. That's when the majority of the visitors would come, and then we would either guide them around or try to set up queues to meet the cubs or go with them inside the enclosure if they wanted to take pictures of the cubs we'd like try to distract the cubs so that they're in a photogenic position so that we can take good pictures of them and uh and you would tell that you know there's some that really get you know get the looks because you would know that a cub would attack a visitor before they actually attack, by the way they look at them, by how annoyed they're getting. And, you know, we would just watch out for that. So there would be like the photographer and then others that are just trying to keep everyone safe. That was during the afternoon. And then at night, uh, we would leave and we just spend the rest of the night where we're staying and then we'd start all over again that's that's awesome um yeah i remember you were showing so so during that like when you're when you're feeding the the larger animals i remember you showing me photos of you like legit legitimately like wrestling roughhousing with these giant cats um i, I don't know you, you just gotta tell the listeners a little bit about that and what that was like it's like wrestling with my brothers. I have three brothers and I'm the youngest. And, I, you know, I, I always didn't have a fair advantage when fighting with them because they were, you know, bigger, stronger, faster. And with lions, it's, it's, uh, it's similar, but you're, you're always able to overpower them when they are young and that's how they play that's how lions play with one another is like pseudo hunting where they try to hide and then jump on something <laughs> and then try to see whether that thing will give up or try to fight and if it fights and if it's stronger than than the lion or the attacker then they kind of back away and they learn their lesson and that's that's how they learn how to hunt that's how they socialize within a lion pride it's all about touching it's all about like rubbing it's all about pushing and and like biting and all that stuff so when you walk in you want to exert your dominance so you kind of push your way through and that's the first thing that happened when we showed up there is they kind of pushed us into a sanctuary and we couldn't walk in because there were just lions pacing around 
and they told us, they forced us in, like they pushed us through. And when you're pushing through a sea of lions just to go through, because you got to exert your dominance. You got to show them, this is my way. This is where I'm walking. You got to move. And, uh, you know, sometimes they would like uh, stumble and that's totally fine because they can recover. But they learn that, you know, if they if someone stands in your way, you're just going to power your way through. So that's something that I, I, I learned and I enjoyed is they respect you more when you are confident, when you exert your dominance, when you just walk in a certain pace. I would just walk around the sanctuary in whatever direction. And by the end of it, the entire, uh, all, all the lines that were there were kind of following me because they kind of, picked that I was just walking wherever I want and this guy knows where he's going let's follow him and I was just walking in the circle and they were following me and it was just so cool and every now and then you would feel like a lion approach and try to bite your ankles or like uh jump at you and as long as you can push push him away and recover and uh walk away and kind of like um, teach him a lesson. Uh, every now and then, you'd you'd find like a cheeky lion that would come and like try to bite your your butt or like your thigh and tr try to like pull you. And you gotta just smack the lion so that they know that you can fight back, that you're not just willing to you know back back off. You have to be physical with them. Um, yeah, I remember you showing a video of like one literally jumping on you and you're just like pushing it off of you with, with all your might. Oh my God. Was it, I assume that first experience was just terrifying, but you probably got used to it so quickly that by the end you were just con content and comfortable with every single animal there. Yeah, that, that very first day it was a shock because we never expected that we'd be in an enclosure <laughs> with lions because all the paper or everything that we went through was and all the waivers were telling us you know you have to maintain a distance and you know this is not for everyone so it's dangerous but um that first day we got pushed into an enclosure and you know i don't mean that in a negative way like it was like because it, it's their everyday job so to them they're like okay let's let's got you let, let's get you acclimated to your position let's get you involved with the everyday things so they you know they gently pushed us into the sanctuary and uh it was it had 28 uh lion cubs that had uh maybe nine months and those are those are pretty heavy like they're pretty strong and pretty big and they just asked us to push ourselves in and you know you'd constantly just keep looking around you but if you constantly kept doing that they'll they'll pick that up they'll realize that you're not you're not comfortable or you're worried 
and you have to be careful not to be too obvious with how you're feeling and at any moment i'm like oh my god i'm gonna break if i break they're gonna know that i've been broken and they're gonna pounce at me uh, so there was always this fear that oh man are they gonna know that this is just a facade <laughs> and i'm scared and terrified inside <laughs> but uh i think it was just building blocks that was like the first enclosure it was nine nine months we walked into a six-month enclosure. It only had three cubs, and that was pretty, pretty low-key because they were, you know, napping and it wasn't too bad. But then that second enclosure, where it had twenty-eight cubs and they're nine months, they st they were getting more physical and closer, and they wouldn't leave you alone if you avoided them and went to another corner of the enclosure they'd follow you and, and try to be around you because you know they're social animals so they want to be around others uh so that that was another thing to get used to but yeah it was a shock like that first day and we got back home and we were all s smelling like lions and we had scratches on our arms and it was such a badass first day and uh, yeah we just we we kept telling everyone that worked there like you guys are so fortunate to be working in that place and they're they're treating it like us when we were at ford like you know it's just taking everything for for granted and you know it's an everyday eight to four job and all that but we just kept reminding them that you know this is this, not everyone can can say that they've been into a lion enclosure or they've been working at a uh, lion enclosure for uh, however many days months years engaging and and being close with with such beautiful animals that's really cool i i went to a i don't know if you'd call it a sanctuary or not but one in costa rica um and that was very cool we didn't get to do anything with the animals but we got to see everything that you could see in the rainforest of costa rica um you know just walk from cage to cage see all the toucans see the uh the wildcats see the i don't even remember what the name was of that i think there was some pigs that were wandering around but you got to see like all the birds all the monkeys the only thing we didn't get to see was a sloth when when we were in costa rica and that really bummed me out <laughs> But yeah, so I, I imagine there's people volunteering to work in those things too. Um, is there anything else that you want to share about that trip? I, I'll be sharing photos and videos of this when, whenever we make this go live, so the listeners can kind of peek through it and see how how you roughhoused a lion. <laughs> I would say that one thing that I I learned after you know several weeks of being there was they have a lot of pride uh you know and and you would assume that i would know that going in but like you see it you see how you know like lions have this pride and they will fight for their life for it they want to be you know obviously respected and they you know they they have their own like personality their own demeanor 
and you just have to respect that. And, uh, you know, you learn that with every different type of lion. Everyone, every lion has this unique way of uh, communicating, of just wanting to be around others. And it was a good learning process because you, you, you learn from mistakes. And I've gotten scratched very deeply and bitten uh, very hard by, you know, some like lionesses and some lions because, you know, I was being too like uh, maybe physical um, or, yeah, I was being too physical at times where they did not want to be physical. And I didn't read that. I just assumed that they all wanted to be physical all the time. But, you know, if, if a lion, if a lioness is just following you, it doesn't necessarily mean she wants to be physical. Um, so it was, it was something that I learned and which had me um, respect the, the, like the, the science of just knowing how to communicate with animals and knowing how to have this language um and it's it's it, there's a subtlety to it uh, and uh i think that's that's something that those that are working in that environment have mastered and um uh, which is what makes us want to go back there again that's that's awesome um you mentioned you mentioned have you done any more what'd you call it uh tour tourism you called it something where you travel to help out tourism i have uh, volunteered in volunteer volunteerism volunteerism yeah i volunteered in spots where i was there on tourism um, but not something like this where I, the whole trip was just that, um, there so was when you, time. Yeah. I was going to say, when you mentioned volunteerism, I remembered that you had, you had injured your shoulder, which I think is another story we should get into, but didn't you actually go and travel somewhere in the middle east or something to get a cheap shoulder surgery done like that that's a whole thing too right it's like tourism for healthcare yeah that's called medical tourism yeah that's actually there's i think there's a site for it where it shows you all the places that you can go and have some expensive surgery for cheap and also make a trip out of it in like exotic spots like for instance you can have your lasik done in like ireland at a fraction of the cost in the us so it'd be cheaper to pay for tickets to go there have accommodation and then have your surgery i think it was ireland or was it like norway or finland or something and then you know fly back all that less than what you'd pay here um you know something ridiculous like that so there's all these different spots that you can go to for that and i went to 
Egypt, so that's where my uh, that that's where I am from originally. So my family was there. I had accommodation, and like a night at the hospital was like twenty five dollars. Oh my gosh! I had my own room, and you know I had a fridge, a microwave, TV. I had my own bathroom, and it was you know surgery went perfectly fine and food was great and service was great the only difference is that it's not it's not you know in a western country and it was a nice trip too (laughs) i got to see a lot of uh you know every time i go to egypt it's always fun um but also being around families is fun too but yeah medical tourism it's a thing if you're ever thinking of, uh, you know, splurging on a on an operation or a surgery, consider uh, medical tourism to some exotic uh, location where you can enjoy the place and also fix yourself. <laughs> I think I remember seeing photos of you shirtless in a sling, like riding a camel in the desert. So yeah. So how did you how did you hurt hurt your shoulder? Because I I recall this being a pretty good story. It was um, it was in Nicaragua, and one of the excursions that we were on was hiking up an active volcano, and uh, it's called Cerro Negro, which means black volcano because everything around it is green but the volcano is black as a sign of how it's erupted recently and when you put your hand on the soil you can feel the heat it's (laughs) it's pretty hot so you can't you know sit on it for too long and you just have to be careful in in certain places so you hike all the way up. It takes about an hour and a half. And then you have several ways of making it back down. You can either go back down the same way that you came up, which was through, you know, hiking up a rocky path, or you can slide down. If you choose to slide down on one of its smooth surfaces you can either sit down on your board or you can stand up and surf down the volcano and me and my friends decided to surf down so stand on the board and surf down an active volcano that was pretty much made out of asphalt so imagine trying to go down the side of a volcano that had a similar texture as asphalt and you had no steering power whatsoever and i remember one of my friends telling me you know you can't you can't do s-turns here you just have to either go down or try to like break and fall and break and fall and i just decided to go down as fast as i can and you know there's this 
there's this moment where when you're going so fast down a snow slope with a snowboard and you feel like okay this is too fast and i can't stop myself <laughs> so it's gonna end bad and uh eventually an edge I, I caught an edge and I started tumbling down for like a good 30 seconds. It was a steep slope, tumbling down and just like, and I felt like my arms were, um, my arms were hurting me. And I eventually slowed down and I passed out for a good minute. And then my friends were getting worried. They were trying to, you know, come up to rescue me, but it was an hour and a half hike. So eventually I got up and I, I slid all the way down and I was a little dizzy from the fainting and, you know, the lack of, I guess, blood to my head because I was spinning so fast. <laughs> and, uh, by the time I got down there, you know, I was covered with dust. It was all black because of the surface. And we got back in, into the bus and I luckily sat next to these two Russian tourists. And, you know, they gave me that look and I just, you know, they clearly could see that I was in pain. And then they reached into their bag, got out, got got these this this uh sleeve of pills and there were only two left and they gave it to me and they were just like and then i looked at it i turned it around it was all in russian and i took both pills and i felt so good <laughs> and to this day i have no idea what i took but it was the best relief i've ever had after <laughs> after an injury and uh later on i had an x-ray i dislocated my shoulder and i needed surgery to screw to put three to four screws in my shoulder that would help the my my shoulders functioning properly again um and that's when i went to egypt to perform that surgery oh my god that's so funny did the russians like they didn't speak any english or anything nothing oh, no they, they had this perfect. universal look like you know i'll take care of you just trust me on this one <laughs> give me your russian drugs i'll take them <laughs> That is so funny. That, that's terrible. That's funny. I, uh, I, yeah, I also remember you when you had that injury in the States, like doing one armed handstands and a sling and stuff like that. It's, I don't know. Abdallah's a, a, a ripped, ripped man. Um, no, this is great. I think we're, we're right on time. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Do you want to just like give any shills, uh, shout outs? You know if people want to find you if you're if you want to share that they can or you can and then we'll wrap it up my instagram is hala for abdallah bill uh it's it's a name i'm proud of and i'm sticking with it <laughs> <laughs> um 
no shout outs, uh, but uh, this has been fun. I enjoyed reminiscing on all those good moments. Um, I guess if I can leave your listeners with any advice, it would be to uh, maybe making a short ending slightly longer is uh, you're good right no rush i i just yeah one one thing that really uh lived with me and and touched me which is what drives me to travel and go to all these places is there was a documentary that i watched on spots or they're called blue zones where there are cities where uh, there are a lot of elders that live beyond a hundred years and they asked them certain questions. And one of the questions is what do you regret? And one thing they all had in common is that they never regretted anything. And, uh, it seems like that is a, a good practice is when you're in an, a situation where you feel like, you know, this, this is worth every moment to do right now and not to, you know, have a rain check and try to squeeze it, squeeze it in at some other time, which may not never come. Always think that these moments, you'll always look back and you'll make a story out of it. And it might end drastically bad, but you'll eventually make a funny story of it years down the road and you'll look back and you won't regret doing that so just think of every moment like it's a moment to cherish and um and uh keep keep on living on you just summarize the whole podcast high quality fun tough times to make good stories I think I think you're like the second person to mention that documentary. I I don't know what it is. I'm gonna have to watch it, but wasn't the whole like a part of it was like, you know, if you live in a community that is like loving and nurturing, that that's somehow aiding to them living longer than like living in solitude and stuff like that. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, man. I'm thank you for coming on. This was a lot of fun. I I like being able to listen and reminisce with people that have such good stories and, and such a positive attitude on life. Um, I hope you enjoyed yourself. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you for listening to the high quality fun podcast. If you guys enjoyed this show, please give us a follow. And if you have a good story or just want to say hi, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or YouTube. Thanks for listening.